0: What's going on, y'all? My name is Jordan, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I want to take about 30 seconds today to do something I didn't do during our preview service. Uh, and that's just kind of be really open and let you guys know how overwhelming this moment really actually is. Uh, last Thursday, we had a couple of people at my apartment and we were praying and, and my wife pulled out um, a note that we had uh, written. I think you just turned the lights back off, Here we go. Lights on. My wife pulled out a note that she had written um, uh, during our first time we got together. It was about 10 people, 11 people, all in my apartment, all praying that God would do something amazing in Harlem, that God would, uh, would use this, this group of people, and that God would grow it and do something incredible. And in my wildest dreams, when I, when I dreamed about what we would have in Renaissance, um, God has been blowing my mind and doing way more than I ever could have asked or imagined. So man, thank you guys so much for all of love and support. Uh, this is a great, a great, great day. But we are official. Uh, we are officially a church. But what, is that even, what does that even mean? Uh, I don't know what you think about or, or what you feel when you hear the word church. A lot of times it's a, it's a reaction that we get from the inside. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. But my guess, uh, my hunch, is that what we think about when we hear the word church is, is way different than what the early church thought about. Now you guys wanna you know, help me show off my one semester of New Testament Greek for about 30 seconds? Now when you, uh, the first church, uh, every time you see the word church in the Bible, uh, you don't see the word church, obviously it's not written in English, you see the word ekklesia, right? It's, it's, we pick the smallest font we can find in the Greek language to test all of your eyes. So it's a word uh, ekklesia, and ekklesia basically means a gathering, it means a collection of people, it means an assembly. It's used about 132 times in the New Testament. 129 times, it's talking about Christians gathered together. And the other three times, it's talking about a group like a city council, uh, an assembly, a gathering. But I can tell you what that word uh, doesn't mean or didn't mean to them. Uh, It it didn't mean a building. It didn't mean a place to go on Sundays before before, uh, the NFL came on. It always meant a collection of people. My brother's on city council and uh, in New Rochelle and no matter where he goes, no matter what time it is, uh, no matter what he has on, he is a member of the city council. And somewhere around 1500, uh, the word Ecclesia got replaced by a word, uh, a German word named Kirch. Um, and again, we picked the smallest word we can find to, uh, to test your eyes. Um, and that's where we get our word of today that we call church. Uh, It means uh, a gathering. But somewhere in this small delineation and changing these words, uh, we started to believe that church was about building buildings. Uh, We started to believe that it was about a Sunday morning and that it wasn't about the assembly of Christians gathered together. But the early church would have known that uh, there's one thing that brought them together, that, that made their gathering. And Hema read the scripture from Acts 2 a little while ago. The early church had one thing and one thing only that brought them together, it's something that we mostly talk about only on Easter. It's this. It's that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was and he was actually raised from the dead. They didn't have any, any buildings, any Bibles, any banners, any bands. Uh, they didn't have bodegas. They didn't have anything that started with the letter B. It didn't exist. But what they did have was this fierce belief, this fierce belief that Jesus of Nazareth uh, was actually physically raised from the dead. And today we're in, our, we're in our first series looking at the movement that changed the world. And it's a group of people, uh, about 120 people, less people than is actually in this room today that changed the world. Now, now what made them so, so special? What made them so special? Actually, uh, if you look back to ancient uh, Middle Eastern history, there were a lot of uh, messiahs. There were a lot of people that came on the scene, and claimed to be a messiah or the chosen one or the son of God or the savior of Israel, right? So some of these people were a dude named Simon of Perea. uh, Lived in about four BCE. He was a former slave uh, and he was killed. Uh, A man named Athranges, he lived in three, uh, three years after Jesus uh, was born and he was a shepherd and he was a rebel leader. Another dude named Menahem Ben Judah, another man named Vespian, another man named Simon Bar Kokhba. I don't know if you might read that. I don't even know how to pronounce it because he doesn't even matter. So what made Jesus of Nazareth so much different than Simon Bar Kokhba or Menahem ben Judah or any of these dudes, right? All of the other dudes, they all had movements. They all had followers. They all had a lot of people. And after they died, everybody went to their funerals and ate potato salad after that, and that was it. They went to the funeral, ate potato, potato salad at their grandmother's house, and you've never heard of them again, right? There's no churches in, in there's not a million churches named after Athrongis. America isn't founded on Simon of Perea's uh, principles. There was something very different about Jesus, Something very different about Jesus that, that set him apart from the rest of these dudes. And my belief, and even though this is somewhat controversial these days, something that we mostly talk about on Easter, is that Jesus actually and physically raised from the dead. And if he did do that, uh, if that actually did happen, then that changes, that changes everything. Now, some of us uh, would struggle with the reality and the trustworthiness of the resurrection. It sounds crazy, right? Like, all right some dude is dead and he actually raised from the dead. But there's a, there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you guys about today uh, that would hopefully ease some of these fears. Um, but at no point do I want you guys to take that uh, wrestling with, with questions or not uh, feeling 100% about things is, makes something wrong with you. I think that every real and true faith involves questioning and wrestling with who God is and what God claims to be. So there's nothing wrong with that. But if If Jesus was, in fact, actually raised from the dead, um, that actually changes everything. Now, I don't wanna get too far ahead of the text in Acts 2, but uh, the the 120 people that were there uh, in the early church had every reason not to be, right? A lot of us in this room were, were raised in Christian households and it would make mommy and daddy and grandma and everybody proud if we went to church. But for them, it was the complete opposite that these 120 people, uh, something had to have happened that would change their life completely, that they would go from following one way to giving up everything to, to go with a random hundred people uh, to give their entire life for this dude named Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things uh, and we see in Acts 2 uh, that I believe that uh, we will we'll draw out of this. And I'm gonna say something in a second that's gonna make a couple of you guys roll your eyes or make, might make some of you guys yawn, but it's this. My belief, after reading this scripture, and I hope you guys will be with me um, at this, is that the gospel is the best hope for all people at all times. That the gospel is the best hope for all people at all times. Now, depending on where you are in your relationship to church and to God and to all these different things, uh, I'm sure we have a lot of different uh, reactions to that. Uh, we, a lot of us will struggle in personally saying, is this something that I should give my entire life to? But like, what if, what if this Jesus stuff ain't all as cracked up to be? Shouldn't I just like leave a little bit to the side just in case it's not really 100% true? Come on, anybody ever think like that before? There we go, six, six of y'all are telling the truth right now. Right, but even if, and, and even if it's for me, like We're not gonna like, shove it down anybody else's throat, right? We're not gonna make the dude in Tibet that's practicing Buddhism, we're not gonna make him unhappy, right? Those dudes who do karate and all that stuff, you don't wanna do that anyway. But we're not gonna, you know, that's, that's, that's wrong, man. Like, let everybody be happy. But the early church was formed around this one teaching, this one principle, that there was a man that lived and raised from the dead. And that's a crazy, crazy story, especially thinking about how the early church thrived, right? So uh, the early church, this first message that Peter preached, was preached about 50 days after Jesus was crucified. And 50 days after Jesus was crucified, Peter gets up and says, men and brother, in this same Jesus that that was handed down from Pontius Pilate, this man is now Lord and Christ. And it would be like me preaching to you guys about this winter uh, being the hottest winter in New York City history. Like, oh, this winter was great, man. Like, every day I was wearing wife beaters, I was walking around with sandals on. There wasn't a day under 70. Uh, You would be the worst crowd in America to tell that story to because you were there. You lived through the polar vortex. You know what six degrees feels like, right? Some of us wish it was six degrees right now. It's a little warm, but you gotta sit in the lane of the fan. Right, so this was the worst audience to preach this message to if it wasn't true. If you search throughout ancient history, ancient writings, not just Christian authors, but uh, uh, Roman, uh, Roman historians, you'll see that nobody said, yo, Jesus' body is down the street. Jesus' body is right next to Popeye's on 25th. Go there and you'll see it. Right, nobody said that uh, because even on, under the, audi- the, the toughest audience that the people that actually lived through it, right? So Peter wasn't preaching this message to people 40 miles away. He wasn't preaching it to people 20 years later. He preached it to people two months in the same city. And the reason they didn't come back and say, yo, this stuff is a hoax, was because maybe in fact Jesus actually did rise. So much so that this crowd, the most difficult crowd ever, uh, 3,000 people uh, completely abandoned their way of life to follow Jesus. So it was an absolutely terrible audience. And um, even in a terrible audience, uh, even among the, the staunchest critics, even worse than New York City skeptics, the gospel is actually the best hope for all people at all times. And it's this message by the, by the power of the Spirit that actually um, can cause us all, is, is actually for everyone. Uh, one of the first miracles of the early church The first miracle of the early church was to immediately decentralize the language so that everybody had access to it, right? So Hema read it earlier in Acts 2, verses 7 through 11. It says, When they heard them speaking to them in their own language, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia. Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I spent about 30 minutes just pronouncing those names, so you gotta practice that one. So why was Luke, uh, so a man named Luke wrote the book of Acts. Uh, Acts was like the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It's like Back to the Future too, right? Um, So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the Book of Acts, which is the history of the early gathering of Christians. And why would Luke be so cautious to go through every single nationality, every language of of people that were there? I think it's for this reason, that in order for the Gospel to be for for everyone, God had to do a deliberate miracle to make sure that no one language or no one culture can take hold and uh, and take precedence of this. There is not one language or not one culture that is the dominant or should be the dominant culture in this. Why? Because uh, the gospel is for everyone. So immediately, the first thing God does is make sure that everybody can hear it in their own language so that they could follow along. It would be crazy. Imagine this is how crazy it was. None of these dudes went to school to study this stuff. It would be like Bobby Shmurda speaking Japanese, right? It would be like Miley Cyrus speaking Swahili, right? Imagine if Miley Cyrus was speaking perfect Swahili. Not the the Rosetta Stone Swahili, but like the real, legitimate Swahili. Something would have to be up. You would know that this has to be a miracle. And this is what was happening in the first church. And it wasn't just so people could show off, it was so that God could immediately uh, make the gospel for everybody at one time. So yeah, so in, in Christianity, uh, we, we have no Mecca. There is no place that we pray to because the kingdom of God is within us, right? In, in, in every other major religion, where that religion started is still the hub today, right? So in, in Judaism, Israel is where it started and Israel is the hub today. In Islam, um, Arabia was where it started and Arabia is the hub today. In Hinduism, it started in India, and India is the hub today. But Christianity has no center. It's always moving. Uh, It started off in the Middle East, and then it went to Europe. to Americas. now it's in Latin America, and Asia, and Africa, because it has no center, because the gospel is the best hope for everyone. It can go into any language, any tribe, any culture, and thrive, because it's for for everyone. So Peter, he's uh, preaching to these people, and he tells everybody, yo, listen, like everybody's going crazy saying, uh, man, this has to be something crazy. You guys have to be drunk or something has to be going on. Peter says, we're not drunk. It's 9 a.m., right? Happy hour? Maybe, but certainly not at, uh, at 9 a.m. in the morning. And he says, it's, I'll tell you exactly how we're doing this. This dude named Jesus was actually resurrected from the dead. Now this is something that in some ways can sound uh, a little bit um, kind of high in the sky, like, well, how does, this, how does this hit me street level? Now, this has to be the foundation for not just the early church, but for, for this church. And my hope for, for this, this group of people, this gathering, this ecclesia, is that our foundation is not in anything else other than what the early church's foundation was. Uh, no matter what you think about the Whole Foods on 125th Street, I will tell you this, they are building it correctly. I walked past there the other day and I watched them pouring uh, hundreds of tons of concrete on top of hundreds of tons of steel because they know, like any other builder knows, your building will only be as successful as your foundation. And our foundation is that by God's grace, you and I can have new life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, not only did this message stand up to a really tough audience, and, and not only did this message um, really thrive in every single culture, but this, this gospel, this message that we're talking about is completely separated from the speaker. And let me, let me clarify that. That Peter was by far the worst possible candidate to preach this message. Like, Peter was a mess. So uh, about two months before this happened, Peter was in, um, you know, he was with Jesus and Jesus is about to be crucified. And he goes to Jesus and he's like, yo, No matter what happens, me and you, dog, we ride, we ride together, we die together. (laughs) And Jesus was like, thank you very much, Peter, but I'm pretty sure before the sun rises, you're gonna disown me three times. Peter was like, no way, bro, it's me and you, we're going down, bro. (laughs) By the time the sun rose, Peter had not only denied him three times, but he quit and left the faith and went back fishing. Now this same Peter, that quit, gave up everything, was the exact person that preached the message that started the church where 3,000 people uh, joined that day. And why is that? It's, when we say that the gospel is the best message uh, for all people at all times, uh, it, it means this, that the church was not, was not built on personalities. It wasn't built on suave preaching. It wasn't built on an amazing band. It wasn't, it wasn't built on any of these things. And, and my hope, my prayer, Uh, I've seen so many churches go the way of putting on a show on a Sunday morning and they go the way of a church building, of building people and not necessarily on building up the gathering because uh, a lot of times in in America, in this world, uh, we've started to bend to the consumeristic uh, ideals that I'm going to go to the place with the best, you know, I'm going to go to Burger King for a burger and get fries at McDonald's and combine the two. And the church has never operated in that way that I am a, I'm a huge lover of good music, and our band is amazing, but it doesn't matter if you had Aswan up here singing a solo, which would be pretty terrible. Yes. <laughs> our gathering, doesn't, that doesn't define this church. And all of our teachers, all of our preachers here are dedicated towards improving in a craft and to preach relevant messages that are inspirational. Uh, but whether or not you have dynamic speakers, if Jesus actually rose from the dead, that's all that matters. And if he didn't raise from the dead, then who cares how talented the speakers are? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who cares how great the band is? So yeah, so it doesn't matter how bad the, the audience is, it doesn't matter how, how tough uh, it is to incubate in different languages, or it doesn't matter how terrible the speakers are or how terrible the people are, God specializes in using messed up people to accomplish his work because God built his church. Yeah, so God, God built his church not on the backs of slick preaching, Not in the backs of great website. Our website is pretty dope, by the way. (laughs) Check that out. Not on great videos or any of these things, but God built it on the fact that he rose Jesus from the dead. And my hope and my prayer is that that would be our foundation on how we build and how we do things. So what does this look like in our lives, right? So what does this look like in our lives on a street level, right? So a lot of you guys are thinking, man, this works great on Sunday. This is fantastic on Sunday, but Monday morning, I got a job that I hate. You know, I'm single, and I've been ready to mingle, and that's not, that hasn't changed. Singles, I know y'all. Come on, man. Be, talk to me, singles. Talk to me, singles. There we go. If we threw a singles party, this room would be jam-packed. Right? Or that your marriage is terrible. What would you say, Myra? <laughs> what day is it? What? Yeah, we're gonna put the. It's on the connection card. You got to fill it out for the uh, checkup for community groups, and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll circle back. Um, but yeah, so on a street level, on a street level, I think that our, if our biggest concerns, we have a lot of issues that our careers aren't where we want them to be, or our marriages, our relationships. Uh, our education, school is hard, and all these different things. And yo, I, this is cool, man. Jesus is good, man. All that good stuff. But how does this affect How does this affect me right now? Do you know why you and I feel anxiety? Do you know why we feel the pressure? Uh, it's because you and I have bought into this lie that you and I are in control of our own lives. We have, <laughs> it's, if, it's, if it's not the, the worst thing we could ever believe, it gotta be number two to being a Patriots fan. It has to be. In that order. Sorry, Brent, for that one, but um, but yeah, you and I feel this anxiety. We feel this tension in our lives. We feel like life is slipping away because somehow we feel that we are in control. And if we don't do something fast, if we don't lose a little bit of weight, if we don't uh, you know get ahead in school, if we don't do this, if we don't find this person by that date, then life is going to pass us by. And let me release you and free you up that uh, you and I are completely underqualified to be the captains of our own lives. And if Jesus actually did raise from the dead, you know what, you should probably follow that guy. Even if life is not making sense at all. Because what that means is that you serve a God that is so good that he sent Jesus to die. And he's so powerful that not even death can hold him. So how does your problem rank against, against that? So it means we have a different source for our hope, a completely different source for what we put hope in. It means we don't put hope in our day-to-day, how life is turning that day. It means we put hope in God and we put hope in a savior that will lead us graciously and powerfully and navigate us through life's uh, challenges. Secondly, uh, on a street level, on a day-to-day level, this means that you and I have a different source of courage, right, so the three most courageous people groups in this world are this. Kids, old Jamaicans, and drunk people. <laughs> Older Jamaicans, I'm not going to call anybody out for that one. Kids, old Jamaicans, and drunk people. Now kids, if you're not feeling good about yourself, do not go around a middle schooler. Don't do it. They will tell you everything about yourself in the worst way. Uh, my cousin who's here today, I won't point him out. He's sitting right there with a the checkered shirt. Um, <laughs> I remember when he was younger, uh, we had another family member whose eyes you know, didn't kind of line up in the right way. He walked up to and he says, why does one eye go that way and the other eye go that way? Kids say the cruelest and the meanest things. They have no inhibitions, they'll just say whatever's on, on their mind. The second most courageous and bold people group in the world are old Jamaicans. Where my Jamaicans at? Shout out to my Jamaicans. So my wife's family is Jamaican, she tried to warn me about it. Uh, There's two things about about weight gain in life. There's phases, right? There's a freshman 15 that's guaranteed. That doesn't really count, right? You go to college and you start eating off the Wendy's late menu, uh, off the dollar menu, the chicken nuggets, and that starts to add up and you gain a freshman 15. The second time you put on weight is when you get married, right? You stop going to the gym. You don't need to work out as hard anymore. There we go, my brother, he, he feels me in the back and then you start to put on weight. So I went to my grandmother's house a couple of, maybe last year sometime, and I walk in, feeling good. My grandmother's here, by the way, 87 years old. And I walk in, I say, hey, Grandma, how you doing? And uh, our family friend was there, and she was like, Jordan, you're fat. <laughs> you're gaining weight. I was like, I know I've been, you know i I haven't been to the gym every day this week, but I mean, She had me feeling pretty vulnerable. I'm not gonna lie. Every time I eat french fries, I think about her in that moment. It's actually a great deterrent. If you're trying to lose weight, hang out with old Jamaicans, they will. It's a new plan, it's a new craze, everybody's doing it. And the third most bold people group are drunk people, right? A Couple years ago, I went to um, Harlem Tavern for my birthday and the whole night, this dude is just staring at me. I'm like, why is this dude staring at me? And he's like, he's tapping his girlfriend, he's pointing. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't even know this dude. I didn't do anything to this guy. And he walks over to me, he's like, bro, I'm definitely not racist, but check this out, which is like the worst way to start a conversation, right? <laughs> bro, I'm not racist. I promise you I'm not racist, but you look just like Darrell Rivas. <laughs> Let's see. I don't know if you guys can see any resemblance on that one. And for the whole night, this dude raises his glass. He's like, (laughs) Rebus! Now, I think it's hilarious, A, that he did that, and I was flattered, because that's when I was doing a lot of push-ups, so my back was looking aight, you know? But I think it's actually coincidental um, that the early church, those disciples were accused of being drunk. Uh, They were accused of being drunk, of, of drinking, of Uh, of being way past their limit. And I think it's for two reasons. That one, they were actually courageous and they would engage people. And they had joy. They weren't like curmudgeons. They weren't angry at everybody. Um, But they actually would engage people with a reckless sense of engagement. That there was nobody uh, that was off limits to them. That these people wouldn't have been the people that were embarrassed to tell their coworkers they were a Christian. These people weren't the people that would go out and try to hide the fact that they've gone to church. They were proud of being a Christian, they were proud of who, uh, who they were as their identity because and only because, yo, I serve a dude that rose from the dead and it didn't, nothing else mattered. So I think uh, street level, having a brand new source of hope and having a different courage that there's nobody, there's no friend, there's no professor, there's no uh, co-worker, there's no boss, that is outside of the reach of Jesus Christ because if God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can do anything in our lives. And it means living with a brand new sense of courage. So Renaissance, we need to continue to pray that the Father would fill us with his spirit so that we can live spirit-filled lives that have this courage and hope. That we wouldn't be tossed back and forward by the waves of daily life, by our daily struggles, but we would have an anchor our soul will be anchored in who God is and what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for, for these people, uh, God, for family, for friends, for supporters. But God, most importantly, Father, if we, if we don't ever get beyond uh, this very elementary thing, God, let this thing penetrate and soak up into our hearts. God, don't let us get uh, ahead of being... Just a community of people that want to love and worship you. Don't ever let us be about buildings and programs and all of the things that weigh people down. But God, let us keep this organic energy. God, let us keep this enthusiasm and give us more, Father, that would, that would cause us to, to really, truly have faith in you. God, as we go about our jobs this week, as we go through our life, man, as we go through problems and, and face difficulties, Father, I pray that I would have a, a, a different sense of hope and courage. That God, I would trust you and know that. God, if you can raise Jesus from the dead, nothing is too hard for you. And even if you don't do what I want you to do, I'll trust you anyway. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.